Hey, we are in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26 this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word and like to turn there or have it on your phone, like to tap your way there. As you're making your way there, let me pray for us once more, pray for the other churches of our community. Father, this morning we just continue to come before your throne and are thankful we have this place to gather and pray for those across our state and over into Louisiana who have lost their place of gathering. I feel like Christians with no home, that you would have given them and are giving, giving them uh, something rich to rejoice in, that they would call your steadfast love to mind and therefore have hope, as we read in Lamentations. So God, we pray for the other churches of our community up here, that you would equip them and burden them to go and to work elsewhere, that they would be at work also within our community, <clears throat> that we would see revival break out. As men and women turn their hearts and affections to Jesus, that they would surrender any sense of kind of inward idolatry, or seeking to make much of who they are, but that they would, in their lives, always seek to make much of Jesus. So, Father, I pray that you would be with us in this place this morning, that as we study your word and look at this passage and just recognize that we are all incredibly inept, unable, that we are broken people, desperately daily, moment by moment, in need of a Savior. And so, God, that we would cling to the promises of the cross of Calvary, our sins upon Jesus, Jesus in our place. God, help us to see uh, our righteousness through the cross of Jesus Christ and the call to obedience is the call to daily die to selves and live for Jesus. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Let me just remind you of the landscape. Uh, Jesus is entering into this series of, you've heard it said, but I say unto you, and so he's kind of recasting what should be their understanding of the Old Testament. He's going to go through, he's going to step on all of our foots, he's going to do that well, and then he's going to put on boots, he's going to come back through and step on them again, and we're going to say, okay, we get it. But he goes through this, uh, not for the point of making us feel low and abased. Like, Jesus isn't this guy you invite to the party, he just says, like, it's not a party until everybody cries, right? We have a friend like that, we don't need any more. But Jesus is this one who comes in and he speaks to our heart, he speaks to our wayward affections, and he offers incredibly corrective words to us at the right time. So he has this crowd, and they're all listening, they're all hearing. He's told, them that, he's told them they need to be salt and light, they need to have these interiors of the Beatitudes that they find incredibly difficult. And then he's told them this really specific thing about the law in 17 through 20, and that's effectively, look, I didn't come to set it aside to get rid of it, to say this is good, great, and wonderful, but we don't need it anymore, but I came to fulfill the law. So Jesus starting in 21 and running all the way through 48 of chapter 5, is showing us what greater righteousness looks like. And so the whole time he's going to say, look, you've heard it said, and he's going to describe some external behavior. So today that's going to be murder. He's going to say, you've heard it said this, but I say unto you. And so he's moving from the external, doing something out there, to internal, being something in here. Okay? So we need to know that. You need to understand that going in. So he starts off in verse 21, and he says, You have heard it said uh, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. 
So he comes out and he communicates something to them that almost everybody there would say, okay, yeah, we know that, yeah, we get that. And so like if I were to be in this room with you this morning and I would say, uh, do you know that it's wrong to stab someone to death? And raise your hand if you know that. There's some of you not raising your hands and that's really, that's really troubling. I got a guy in the back crossing his arms. Don't sit beside him next week. <clears throat> we have a cop in the hall. You will be frisked, friend. And so, but we know, right? Like we know that, that those aren't things you do. And so Jesus tells me, he says, you've heard it said. And so it's, it's, it's not a very literate society. So most of their teaching and most of the things they've learned, they're hearing orally from others. And so he says, you've heard it said, you've heard it communicated to you that you shall not murder. So they look around, they're like, I think this is fine. Like, I think we can do this. We can keep from killing people out of anger. And that's what he's talking about in murder. So Jesus turns. He says, you've got this over here locked up in spades, but let me move to an area of your life where maybe you don't have it so well. And when he does this, when he makes this shift, what he's showing isn't something new and novel that he's adding to the law, but what he's showing is what the law always intended from the beginning. He said, you've heard it said you shall not murder, but I say to you, everyone, everyone, who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And we hear this and just think, oh, Jesus, Jesus, do you not know who I live with? <laughs> Jesus, do you not know how our tax system is set up? Jesus, have you never been to the DMV? <laughs> so we begin to think through all of these places where we have been angry, right? And we've, we've, we've seen ourselves just kind of blah, 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 vomit on somebody with all of our anger. And so we start walking back through this saying like, okay, Jesus, like I, like I hear you saying this over here, but clearly you don't mean this. And so we get to kind of carve out uh, kind of exceptions for us and to really kind of fit into the thing that we think we are able to do. Instead of recognizing that Jesus clearly communicates something that we have no ability to do. This is kind of what we do as people. Jesus says something, we hear harsh teaching, and we say, all right, all right, all right. Well, this over here, but this is really what I can do over here, and this is clearly what Jesus means, because what we're trying to do, what we like to do, myself included, is to find aspects of Jesus' teaching, aspects of the Bible that we can do with great ease and comfort. Can I tell you this morning, he doesn't care anything about your comfort. He doesn't care anything about that. So in this, when he says, if you're angry with someone, you're liable for judgment, he means if you are angry with someone, you're liable to judgment. And you may sit here, and you may say, that's incredibly difficult. Like, that seems to be too much. And I would say to you, you're right. It does seem like too much. But because we serve a God who doesn't want our externals at the exclusion of our internals, we find ourselves always running into too much. So he turns to this group. 
this group who is totally fine not to murder anybody, as I hope many of you are this morning. And he adds on this additional deal of not being angry. James, Jesus' half-brother, says this about anger. Chapter 1 and verse 19, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now we hear that and we understand that. Some of you this morning, you are already seeking to give yourself a carefully constructed understanding and argument that maybe you'll employ with me later when, you, when we choose to go Dutch for lunch, that you're going to say that your anger is righteous. How many people have heard in here that it's okay if you're angry as long as your anger is righteous? Show of hands. Show of hands. This is true. This is true. Jesus, we see described within Scripture as being angry on occasion. And his anger is always addressed at injustice. So he sees something that's an affront to God or humanity, mankind made in the image and the likeness of God. And I will tell you, inasmuch as your anger mirrors Jesus' anger, that's fine. That's fine. You find yourself in good company, namely being Jesus. But can I tell you that in your heart and in my heart, the likelihood of our anger being pure is so incredibly low. And let me just set a litmus test for you, okay? Jesus goes throughout his life. He's perfectly sinless. And he's handed over to this, just kind of this fake court, basically. Trumped up charges. They bring him in. They yell at him. They beat him. They spit on him. They mock him. And what you will see is that not a single time does he respond in anger. To the point that when they put him on the cross, when they drop that cross in the ground, when he cries out at the very moment when what our cry would be, get him. His prayer to God is, Father, forgive them. If your anger looks like that, then you can be an angry person. If your anger looks like the forgiveness found in Jesus, then you can be an angry person. My anger doesn't look like that. What my anger looks like is being short on patience, short on time, short on resources, and somebody makes a request from me that doesn't immediately please me. And that's when I pop off. And that's when I get angry. And I'd be willing to bet that many of us in this room, if we're honest and we quit lying to ourselves and others, this is exactly where we are too. Maybe you've got a handle on anger. So nobody in this room, nobody in your family knows that you're an angry person because you've never lashed out at anybody. Like you've never beaten someone up with your words or with your fists or rammed your car into them. <laughs> but inside, there's always this sense that when someone asks you for something, when you see something that doesn't accord with your sense of self-righteousness, it just, it frustrates the snot out of you. It's just supremely irritating. And maybe though you have the self-control to keep that in and not tell other people and be like, man, did you see so-and-so in the hall? <laughs> maybe that's you. Maybe you have better self-control. But if we're willing to be honest, then we would admit this morning that all of us struggle with anger in some way and at some time. And what Jesus tells us 
that if you are angry, then you are liable to judgment. Moving on with that, Jesus says, and the person, and the person who insults his brother will be liable to the council. So he turns, he says, look, this is kind of anger in general. Well, what about the person who turns and he insults his brother? Now, he's restricting it just to the church, but we recognize, of course, this has an external capacity as well. So this person who would look at his brother, and so I'm just going to look at Brent, I'm going to look at Noah, I'm going to look at Greg and just say, you know, you guys are idiots. You know, just, I mean, that's kind of the word that he uses here. He says, this person that engages in this behavior, they need to go see the Sanhedrin. And so the people there would be like, man, doesn't the Sanhedrin have bigger and better things to do? I mean, like they have people that are real violators of the law. And Jesus says, look, you're angry. You're insulting those around you. You need to go see the religious leaders of our day. This is the severity that he wants us to understand the wayward nature of our heart and how we treat those we're in community and fellowship with. So he says, if you insult someone else around you, we have to get the the religious court of the day to weigh in and to evaluate the circumstances of all that's going on. So if anybody insults. So the last thing he says is, he says, hold on now, whoever says you fool, and this is, we get our idea of kind of being a, a moron. This person will be liable to the hell of fire. Now this area Jesus is talking about and the image that he's calling to mind is this area kind of right south of Jerusalem where people would pile trash and, and fires would, would spring up from being out there. And it's previously an area where child sacrifice took place. And so Jesus is painting this picture. And he says, look, if you look at someone and you call them a fool, and he's not primarily just talking, you're saying, look, they make silly decisions and there's kind of a, a hapless nitwit, but you're saying that this person in their heart is a rebel against God. If this is what you say of them, then it could be that this is what your abode is. Then it could be that this is where you're headed. So obviously he's not talking about setting up camp in a landfill. But he's painting this picture with something they all would have known, they all would have seen, and he's pointing at the fact that the eternality, their eternal life, where they're headed on the basis of their internals could be eternal separation from God. So we look at this and we hear when we say, okay, you can't be angry. I think I can work on that one. I can't insult anybody ever. He's clearly never met my brother-in-law. I can't say, you fool, he's clearly never engaged some of the other people I meet. What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to retreat to kind of this monastic life? Am I supposed to just live by myself in, in, in this hermit isolation? Well, no, why? Why do we know this isn't true? Because just immediately prior, he's called us to be salt and light. You can't be salt and light alone. You need other people You need their lives to be impactful against. We need this. But Jesus has offered this incredibly difficult teaching, and he does not yet relent. Look what he goes on to say in verse 23. He says, so, and so we know that he's kind of building the application for what these internals should look like. He says, so, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there you remember that your brother has something against you. First be reconciled to your brother and then come back and offer your gift. Now, this is the picture, okay? Now, Jesus spoke to uh, a lot of people from Galilee. And so let's just suppose that he's speaking to a Galilean. And so he tells them, hey, look, you're in there, you're in the temple compound, and you're moving through this process You've handed over your offering to the priest and he is moving to bring it before the altar. And at that moment, God 
pricks your conscience and you recognize that your brother has something against you. In essence, at that moment, you remember, I totally let the air out of his tires. I totally said this thing about his wife. I totally said this thing about his mom. I totally spread this rumor about him. I, I, I completely am culpable. I did this thing against another brother and sister in Christ. I hold this grudge against them because of this. You've given your offering over to the priest. You've traveled 80 miles to make this offering. You've spent time, you've spent resources, and you're in the midst of this thing. It is on the conveyor belt, so to speak. The priest takes it from you and he's walking towards the altar. This thing comes to your mind. This is what Jesus says to do. You have to stand up and you have to say, I'm not ready for that offering to be extended right now. So you've got to take back your offering. You've got to bind it. You've got to find, somehow find a place for it to be stored. And you've got to go 80 miles back to your brother. You've got to make restitution to him. And does he say, then you're fine? And then just, we'll kind of catch you next time around? No. He says, then you have to come back, make your offering, and then you get to go home. So what was once a 160-mile trip has now become a 320-mile pilgrimage. There is no place for hardness in our heart to be compatible with the worship of our God. This is what he's pointing at. There's no place for hardness or grudges in our heart to be taking place in the midst of the worship of our God. Some years ago, I was uh, helping out at a disciple now, and the, and the speaker got up there, and he spoke on Sunday morning. He spoke on this passage or some other passage, and he just brought this in. And he had this really awkward moment. And he said, hey, look, this is what we're going to do. Some of you have grudges against other people. You're angry with them. They have something against you. And you need to be reconciled to those believers, those brothers and sisters. And so he stopped the service. He just said, we're not going to go on. We're not going to do anything else until some people start getting up and making phone calls. No, this is, I'm not doing this, Valerie, don't worry. <coughs> Eyes got real big. Er. And so uh, he said, he said, don't worry. Or I said, I don't, don't, don't worry, I'm not going to do this. Anyway, so he said, this is what we're going to do. And this is before the days where everybody had a cell phone. And so you can imagine, like, people are doing this number, like, who, who's going to get up? Who's going to get up? Maybe two or three people in a room full of 600 got up. Do we care about how other people see us? Or do we care about how God sees us? And to what degree do we take his word seriously? The word Jesus gives here is incredibly clear. It's, it's so direct to us. He said, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there and go. Some of us came in here this morning not ready to worship God because we know our brother or sister has something against us. But in this day and age of friendships and transient nature of people, we're so accustomed to and willing to just kind of slash and burn friendships. We invest with people and then there's a point where they offend us or we offend them and we're really willing to just kind of let bygones be bygones and to move on and to develop another group of friends over here. 
There's no place for this in Orthodox Christianity. No, it could be. It could be that you're going to go to someone and you're going to say, I did this against you and you have this, this thing and we just need to talk about it. Let me, just, let me just tell you that sometimes it doesn't go just real well. Several months ago, I was in the midst of my morning quiet time, and, and, and some of you know this story. You've heard me say it, and so you can nap for a second. And so I was in the midst of my morning quiet time, and, and God wrote one word to me, and it was just kind of the word confess. And so I thought that was really curious. I wasn't really sure what he was on about. And so I just kind of continued to think about it for a couple of days, and that he brought a very clear case to my mind of what I needed to do. And just in terms of all honesty, I said, I won't eat that food again, and just kind of move on down the road. And I just thought, well, surely that wasn't what God wanted me to do. That, that happened so long ago. That's pretty insignificant. That's not such a big deal. He just kind of kept bringing it back to me, kept bringing it back to me. And so I eventually said, to look, I, I just can't get around this, and so I'm going to call this guy. And so I placed a phone call to this person. Didn't answer his phone, and I thought, whoa, relief. Leave a voicemail. What do you say in that voicemail? Hey, look, just kind of praying and having confession. And, you know, would you take mine and then bless me? And could we just be done? No, and so I just said, hey, it's Matt. Would you give me a call back when you get a chance? I'd just like to talk to you about something. So he calls me back a couple of days later. And man, my, my stomach is just turning in knots. And I'm just thinking, oh, why can't I drop the call right now? My cell phone coverage is so bad. Why can't I drop the call? Crystal clear coverage. <laughs> so I'm talking to him and I just say, hey, look, uh, two or three years ago, this happened. Two or three years ago, this, 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 this event happened. You're well aware of it. This is my response towards you, and I was wrong. And man, I just need to apologize. I just need to tell you I was sorry that in my heart at that moment, if you'd have asked me if I was right, I would have said absolutely. But over the last few days, I've been praying about it, and God showed me that I was absolutely wrong. I was lying to myself, and it was easier than the truth, and so I just, I just left it there. And so I just need to ask you to forgive me. Would you do that? Silence on the phone. And he responds, he says, you know, I, I never felt offended. My feelings were never hurt. I, I never knew that about you. I never knew you felt that way. Not every time you go to somebody and apologize is the person going to turn to you and say, I always thought you were just kind of a righteous jerk, but now, now I get you're this super humble person. <laughs> Sometimes it's going to be like my experience with this friend. And they're going to say, man, I, I wasn't offended. It's not a big deal. Sometimes you're going to go to them and they're not going to receive your apology. They're going to say, I don't believe good things about you. You did this back then. You've not changed. And I refuse to accept your apology. It's nothing we can affect. Paul tells us in Romans 12 that inasmuch as it is in our ability, we are to be at peace with all men. And all women, too, for that matter. So for some of us this morning, when you leave this place, man, you've got some phone calls that you need to make. You've got some people you need to call. And some of us, we're going to get some phone calls. We're going to have some people come and talk to us. Since I'm just kind of bearing all this morning. Not literally. <laughs> A few weeks ago, <clears throat> had somebody call and say, can I come in and meet with you? Can I talk to you? I said, absolutely. I'm happy to do that. So they came in and, and they sat with me in my office. 
and just really quickly shared ways I had hurt them, things I had said that had offended them. Now, I want you to understand something. They love me enough. They love God enough to do this, to give me an opportunity to apologize and to clarify. It would have been so easy for me in that moment just to smite them, right? You're crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. You and your crazy pack it up and find somewhere else to be. In that moment, if somebody has mustered the gumption, the compassion, the love, and the bravery to come to you and to say something to you, can we just go ahead and forgive them for stumbling over words, for maybe being unintentionally offensive to you, and this person wasn't to me? I hope every situation you have was as delightful as the one that this person had towards me. But this is what it is to be brothers and sisters in Christ be reconciled to one another. When you come into church, we don't do so as clean people. We do so as people desperately in need of the cleansing work of his Holy Spirit. Amen? But he won't cleanse us past our disobedience. He won't cleanse you past your disobedience. So for some of us, he's calling for us to be reconciled to other brothers and sisters in Christ. So he has a second point of application. <clears throat> second point of application he comes to in verse 25. He says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. So he paints this picture starting verse 25. He says, say you owe somebody a great sum of money. And so this person owes you, you owe this person a great sum of money and they're going to go hand you over to the court. And so while you're walking with this person, you're entreating them and you're begging them, let's be friends, let's work this thing out. And he says, you need to do it quickly at that moment, lest that person hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard, and the guard to put you in prison. In verse 26, he tells us, and truly you know this, they will not stop until they've taken absolutely everything from you, every last penny. We see two things. One was we need to be reconciled to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And two, we need to do it quickly. We need to do it quickly. Some of us, the reasons why we may not be able to be reconciled with our brothers and sisters is because we've waited not days, not months, but years. It doesn't get easier to be reconciled. If anything, it gets more difficult. So as people who follow Jesus... We cannot let anger reign in our hearts. And when it does, we know we're going to offend people. And the word he has for us there is to be reconciled to one another, to forgive and to extend forgiveness, and in that process, to do it quickly. Now listen to me, not carelessly, not haphazardly, but thoroughly and quickly. So maybe you sit here this morning and you say, this is all good, great, and wonderful, but, but I really do struggle with anger. And what I seem to read in this passage is that being angry kind of excludes me or it hands me over to judgment. And I want to I offer you some encouragement this morning. We get a number of different things from the scriptures. Some of us get encouragement. Some of us get challenges 
And, and we tend to resonate or connect with different characters, different people in the Bible better. Me, I always connect with Peter because he's always sticking his foot in his mouth. <clears throat> Peter, and I just want to kind of take this trip just really quickly. Peter is a wonderful example of grace affecting a life over the course of time. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked the disciples, he pitched it to them and said, who do people say that I am? They say, some say Elijah, some say this, some say that. So Jesus turns it. He says, who do you say that I am? Peter, without blinking, responds, you are Christ, the son of the living God. He gets it. So Jesus says, blessed are you, because flesh and bone hasn't revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven. Essentially saying this, God has communicated to you exactly who I am. So Jesus goes on and he begins to tell them, look, this is what's coming up. I've got to suffer. I've got to die. I'm going to be handed over. And what does Peter say? Peter says, hold on, sidebar. So he takes Jesus over here and he's just like, are you kidding me? You can't do this. This isn't your future. This isn't your path. And what does Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. Peter's outburst gave evidence of the fact that he doesn't really, at that moment, want the things of God, but he wants the things that make sense to him. And so we see Peter being a tempestuous man to being one who flies off the handle quickly. So Jesus, from saying, my father has shown this to you, immediately says, get behind me, Satan. Peter, in the garden of Gethsemane, they come to take Jesus. And what does Peter do? Everybody else is scrambling. Peter pulls out a sword and slices the high priest's servant's ear off. Not great with a sword, but you've got to admire the effort. Jesus picks up the ear. He heals the guy. Peter, who in John chapter 13, Jesus talked about how some would betray him. And Peter says, look, everybody else may leave you. I'll never do that. I will be with you until death. I will die for you, Jesus. We find in chapter 18 of the Gospel of John that three various opportunities Peter has to stand for Jesus where it would cost him something. And in each and every one of those, Peter denies Jesus to the point of cursing his name. Peter is a failure. But I want you to see something. You get to the end of the Gospel of John. Peter has denied Jesus three times. Jesus meets up with Peter. And for each point of denial, Jesus restores him. You get into chapter 21. It says, when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. And he does this two more times. For each point of Peter's denial, Jesus restores him in the same vein. And at the end of this, Jesus turns to Peter and he closes it out and he says, Peter, follow me. Jesus takes angry people with militant angry hearts and he softens them for his gospel. Jesus doesn't take perfect people and make them better. He takes broken people and we approach God through the blood of Jesus Christ, and it is through his blood that we are made righteous. And as his word says in Matthew 5, 48, we are made whole and complete. Where he takes our external displays of righteousness, he's changed our heart inwardly, and he allows our heart inwardly 
to beat for righteousness. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness, for an opportunity this morning to confess our waywardness, our misgivings. God, I pray for those who have yet to surrender themselves to Jesus. The best they know is high morality, seeking to do the right thing and not too much of the bad thing or the wrong thing. God, that they would find forgiveness and peace in Jesus Christ, the one who is changing their hearts and reckoning them righteous. You call us to a greater righteousness in the book of Matthew, that our inward affections would match our outward demonstrations. So God, I pray for us that you would embolden us in that pursuit. But God, I pray that you would also set us free from seeking to be made righteous by ourselves. You didn't save us on the basis of good deeds done by us, but according to your riches and your mercy. So God, I pray for us to humbly submit to you and to come to you, broken but yet made whole in the blood of Jesus. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.